Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be regarding Mosiah chapter 8. So let's just jump right in. Verse 1, And it came to pass that after King Limhi had made an end of speaking to his people, for he spake many things unto them, and only a few of them have I written in this book, he told his people all the things concerning their brethren who were in the land of Zarahemla. Mormon includes some of Limhi's remarks because they deal with faith, sin, repentance, and hope, concepts that Mormon believes will be important to us. Verse 2, And he caused that Ammon should stand up before the multitude. Limhi was, has Ammon speak to the people as proof of his claims of an imminent deliverance. Continuing verse 2, And rehearse unto them all that had happened unto their brethren from the time that Zenith went up out of the land, even until the time that he himself came up out of the land. And he also rehearsed unto them the last words which King Benjamin had taught them and explained them to the people of King Limhi, so that they might understand all the words which he spake. Mormon has abridged King Benjamin's words since he gave us the details earlier. And it came to pass that after he had done all this, that King Limhi dismissed the multitude and caused that they should return everyone unto his own house. And it came to pass that he caused that the plates which contained the record of his people from the time that they left the land of Zarahemla should be brought before Ammon that, they, that he might read them. So notice that there's another set of plates here that are being kept. These are the plates by, uh, that are kept by King Limhi. <clears throat> the large plates of Nephi were kept by Mosiah in Zarahemla and are different than these plates. Limhi's plates contain the record of his people from the days of King Zenith to his day. This is the record from which Mormon will take his abridgment, comprising Mosiah 9 to 22. We must remember that there are many sets of plates other than the large and small plates of Nephi. In this chapter, we learn of the plates of Limhi's people and the 24 gold plates of the Jaredites. Mormon is severely editing here. This verse follows immediately upon the closure of the public event without any intervening text to show a difference in time or place. There, we surely, there were surely both. By its very nature, the disclosure of Limhi before his people was public. This verse, however, describes a very non-public event. The records of the Limhites are brought to Ammon to read. We learn here that Zenith's people kept records on plates and that they were brought to Ammon. Plates are inherently heavier than paper would be, and this suggests that Ammon may have moved away from the public dais to a location somewhat more in proximity to the plates to the place where the records were kept, most likely the palace of the king. In Mesoamerica public place that, where the records were kept, oh, I'm sorry, let me start over. In Mesoamerica public architecture, the residence of the king would frequently be near the main temple, and the main temple would have been the location for this public ceremony. So they would not have traveled far, and perhaps this is the reason Mormon makes no mention of the change of location. And that was by Brant Gardner. Now, as soon as Ammon had read the record, the king inquired of him to know if he could interpret languages. And Ammon told him that he could not. And the king said unto him, being grieved for the afflictions of my people, I caused that forty and three of my people should take a journey into the wilderness, that thereby they might find the land of Zarahemla, that we might appeal unto our brethren to deliver us out of bondage. And they were lost in the wilderness for the space of many days, yet they were diligent and found not the land of Zarahemla, but returned to this land, having traveled in the land among many waters, 
having discovered a land which was covered with bones of men and of beasts, and was also covered with ruins of buildings of every kind, having discovered a land which had been peopled with a people who were as numerous as the hosts of Israel. This is a pretty good clue to the size of the Jaredite civilization because we know the number of the hosts of Israel. While in Sinai, the Lord commanded Moses to number the hosts of Israel, the result of the census was that there were 603,550 men over the age of 19. This number excluded all women, children, and the tribe of Levi, which was later counted to have 22,000 men and boys. Therefore, the total number of the camp must have been well over a million people, and the Jaredites also must have numbered in the millions. Near the end of the Jaredite civilization, Coriantumr mourns that two millions of his people had been slain by the sword. And verse 9, and for a testimony that the things that they had said were true, they have brought 24 plates which, were, which were, are filled with engravings, and they are of pure gold, the record of the Jaredites. And behold, also they have brought breastplates which are large, and they are of brass and of copper and are perfectly sound. And again, they have brought swords, the hilts thereof have perished, and the blades thereof were cankered with rust. And there is no one in the land that is able to interpret the language of the engravings that are on the plates. Therefore, I said unto thee, Canst thou translate? And I said unto thee again, and I say unto thee again, knowest thou of anyone that can translate? For I am desirous that these records should be translated into our language, for perhaps they will give us a knowledge of a remnant of the people who are of, who have been destroyed from whence these records came, or perhaps they give us a knowledge of this very people who have been destroyed, and I am desirous to know the cause of their destruction. Now Ammon said unto him, I can assuredly tell thee, O king, of a man that can translate the records, for he has wherewith he can look and translate all records that are of ancient date, and it is a gift from God, and the things are called interpreters. Now these are, this is the Urim and Thummim that Mosiah has. The interpreters are the Urim and Thummim that the Lord had given to the brother of Jared. The brother of Jared wrote the vision of, his, of the inhabitants of, of the earth, uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. The brother of Jared wrote his vision of the inhabitants of the earth in the Jaredite form of the, in, of the Adamic language. The Lord knew that no subsequent people would be able to interpret this language without divine help. The Urim and Thummim were designed just for a seer like Mosiah to use to translate the record. Apparently, Mosiah had received the interpreters which were had by the kings. His grandfather, also named Mosiah, had used them to interpret the large stone of the Jaredites. The term used when describing translation with the Urim and Thummim is by the gift and power of God. This is the way we describe the translation of the Book of Mormon, by the gift and power of God. This same Urim and Thummim spoken of in Mosiah 8.13 is the Urim and Thummim that was buried with the gold plates. It was the tool which Joseph Smith used to translate the Book of Mormon, especially early on. He described them as follows. There were, there were two stones and silver bows, and these stones fastened to a breastplate constituted what is called the Urim and Thummim deposited with the plates, and the possession and use of these stones were what constituted seers in ancient or former times, and that God had prepared them for the purpose of translating the book. This Urim and Thummim was taken with the plates by Moroni after Joseph was done translating. There was at least one more Urim and Thummim because Abraham had one, and Moses had one that was placed in the breastplate of judgment, and that was what was used by the priests of the Levites. Elder McConkie said the Hebrew words Urim and Thummim, both plural, mean lights and perfections. Presumably, one of the stones is called Urim and the other Thummim. Ordinarily, they are carried in a breastplate over the heart. President Joseph Fielding Smith said, with reference to the seer stone and the Urim and Thummim, 
uh, has written, we have been taught since the days of the prophet that the Urim and Thummim were returned with the plates to the angel. We have no record of the prophet having the Urim and Thummim after the organization of the church. The Urim and Thummim delivered to Joseph Smith for use in translating the Book of Mormon was the same one the brother Jared had. Continuing verse 13, and no man can look in them except he be commanded lest he should look for that he ought not and he should perish. A person might look into the stones and be tempted to use the revealed information unrighteously. And whosoever is commanded to look in them, the same is called seer. And behold, the king of the people who are in the land of Zarahemla is the man that is commanded to do these things and who has this high gift from God. And the king said that a seer is greater than a prophet. This is a question, not a statement. Ammon then states that a seer is also a prophet and a revelator. A seer, wrote Elder Whitsoe, is one who sees with spiritual eyes. He perceives the meaning of that which seems obscure to others. Therefore, he is an interpreter or clarifier of eternal truth. He foresees the future from the past and the present. This he does by the power of the Lord operating through him directly or indirectly with the aid of divine instruments such as the Urim and Thummim. In short, he is one who sees, who walks in the Lord's light with open eyes. Verse 16, And Ammon said it that a seer is a revelator and a prophet also. And a gift which is greater can no man have, except he should possess the power of God, which no man can, yet a man can have great power given him from God. But a seer can know of things which are past, and also of things which are to come. A seer can know the, the real truth, in other words. And by them shall all things be revealed, or rather shall secret things be made manifest, and hidden things shall come to light, and things which are not known shall be made known by them. And also things shall be made known by them which otherwise could not be known. It is generally supposed that a prophet is one who prophesies, meaning one who foretells the future. In fact, one can be a prophet without doing so. The role of a prophet is to proclaim the word of God by the authority of the Holy Ghost. More specifically, a prophet is one who has and declares the testimony of Jesus. A prophet's primary role is to be a forth teller rather than a foreteller. To call a man a prophet is to emphasize his role in the declaring the word of God. Whereas to call him a seer is to emphasize the manner in which the word has, was received. Thus, it is properly said that a seer is greater than a prophet because all seers are prophets, but not all prophets are seers. Among the special spiritual gifts granted the seer is the ability to restore, interpret, and understand the past. In so doing, the seer may, by the use of various in interpreters, translate ancient records that have been written in languages that... Um, that now are otherwise undecipherable. Thus, it is. It, this is what Mosiah did in translating the records of the Jaredites and what Joseph Smith did in translating the, the Book of Mormon. Ammon's comments relative to a seer as translator couched in a con conversation about ancient records were not intended to be a complete description of the seer's role. Enoch beheld the spirits that God had created and he beheld also things which were not visible to the natural eye. And from thenceforth came the saying abroad in the land, a seer hath the Lord raised up unto, the, unto his people. A seer is a visionary in the highest sense, one who can see afar off. And that's from the doctrinal commentary of the Book of Mormon. Verse 18, thus God has provided a means that man through faith might work mighty miracles, though he becometh a great benefit to his, therefore he becometh a great benefit to his fellow beings. The first presidency and quorum of the 12 apostles, all prophets, seers, and revelators. How does a seer become a great benefit to his fellow beings? By revealing God to them. And now when Ammon had made an end of speaking these words, the king rejoiced exceedingly and gave thanks to God, saying, Doubtless a great mystery is contained within these plates, 
And these interpreters were doubtless prepared for the purpose of unfolding all such mysteries to the children of men. The great mystery contained on the 24 plates includes the book of Ether. Moroni said, I take mine account from the 20 and 4 plates which were found by the people of Limhi, which is called the book of Ether. Ether, um, but Moroni abridged the record and did not include all of the prophecies of the brother of Jared. They were withheld because of the greatness of their greatness, for the Lord showed unto the brother of Jared all the inhabitants of the earth which had been, and also all that would be. This great revelation is to come forth when the people are ready. In that day they shall be they, they that shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did, that they may become sanctified in me. Then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw even to the unfolding unto them all my revelations. Verse 20. Oh, how marvelous are the works of the Lord, and how long doth he suffer with his people, yea, and how blind and impenetrable are the understandings of the children of men, for they, they will not seek wisdom, neither do they desire that she should rule over them. Notice that wisdom is a female. In Hebrew and in other languages of the ancient Near East, wisdom is a feminine noun. Verse 21, yea, they are as a wild flock which fleeth from the shepherd and scattereth and are driven and are devoured by the beasts of the forest. Again, so that's the end of uh, chapter 8 of Mosiah. Um, I remember uh, in talk, in, in, uh, as we talk about the method and the process through which the prophet Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon when he was asked many times how he did it. His reply was always by the gift and power of God. He never really explained the process of translating the plates. He would always just say that it was by the gift and power of God. And so we can trust that that was the case. I bear testimony of the truth of the Book of Mormon, that it is translated, and that as we, uh, as we study it more, that we might apply its principles and live by its teachings. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. See you next time.